0: Welcome everyone to the Food, Farms, and Chefs radio show with restaurant industry author Kevin Wilson, highly acclaimed chef Gene Blum, and food photojournalist Amaris Pollack. Join them as they interview the biggest names in the restaurant industry, tell you about the latest food trends, and give you recipes and cooking tips too. So let's get the show started.
1: Welcome to our listeners around the world via the podcast, our listeners on all three of our outstanding radio stations. Today's show celebrates our third birthday, so money and prizes will be given away at the last five minutes of the show. So stay tuned. Our first guest is an outstanding winery in the Hudson Valley area of New York. And then, after we talk to this outstanding winery, we will talk to the event coordinator. From one of the most popular tourist attractions in the entire country. Amorous Pollock, introduce your fantastic guest.
2: Hi. So I want to introduce everyone to the winery, Ben Mall Winery, which is in Hudson Valley, New York. Um, I have on Matthew Spaccarelli, who is one of the winemakers and also the son of the proprietor, Victor. Who owns it, Matthew? Why don't you tell us a little history about the winery? And I know that it is the oldest winery in New York.
3: So, um, yeah, thanks for having me. And the the there's a big distinction between wineries and vineyards, um, and we get this a lot because. Uh, here in the Hudson Valley, we have this really rich history of grape growing, um, just c- kind of uh, by accident, in a way. You know, uh, New York was was a big hub um, as the Europeans were immigrating into the United States, and um, they they brought with all of their other wonderful traditions. Um, They brought over viticulture and winemaking. um, And a lot of that came through New York. And as they settled through the Hudson Valley, the French Huguenots um, brought viticulture with them. And uh, yeah, the Hudson Valley is kind of the birthplace of of grape growing and winemaking in in America. Um, We have the distinction of being um, the oldest vineyard in the United States, Uh, but we didn't start making wine until the early 1960s. Um, Brotherhood Winery, which is located down in Washingtonville, New York, um, just a stone's throw away, is actually the oldest continuously producing winery, um, which is kind of interesting because we're so close, maybe a 25-minute drive. Um, But in our case, um, viticulture started on the property in the late, 1700s early 1800s um and then as a commercial production um in mid 1800s uh andrew jackson kaywood was a nurseryman and he was growing uh, not only grapes but also stone fruit and palm fruit so cherries uh, peaches apples those kinds of things um and he yeah he established the vineyard and then you know fast forward uh, to 1978, a gentleman by the name of Mark Miller purchased the property from uh, Andrew Jackson K. Wood's descendants. I think it was three generations down. I could be wrong. It might be four, but I think it was three generations down. Um, and replanted a lot of the vineyards and started um, wine production as well on the property. So um, that's kind of the the big history and then the short most recent history is uh 2006 my father purchased uh the property from the millers and uh you know we've been expanding the vineyards and expanding wine production ever since so
2: now i saw that on top of that he also re like replanted or reinvigorated the uh the vines as well in 2007
3: Yep. So we ripped out a lot of the older vines. They they were kind of beyond their prime in production. Um, And we've we've planted. Trying to think here on the property now. We have about eight acres. um, And all of it except for one vine has been replanted. Uh, Actually, this past spring we took out the oldest vines. Um, They were kind of uh, again beyond their prime. Um, They were they were really low in production. um, we're having some issues, you know, making wine from them. So we've replaced them with with different varieties. And uh, so yeah, that's that's been a big investment. And then also the big investment has been in the cellar and winemaking equipment, kind of uh, bringing in some new technologies, making things more efficient and uh, a little bit more controllable. Uh, that's what us winemakers <clears throat> like to do. We like to be in control all the time, even <laughs> though we can't be.
2: <laughs> well, I know that, you know, everybody loves a, a nice Chardonnay that's oaky, but I see that, you know, you've moved to the, the new technology of making the Chardonnays in um, the non-oak, I believe it's uh, steel or something caskets that you create the Chardonnays.
3: Yeah. So um, here in New York, it's considered cool climate viticulture um, and the wines uh, can kind of, what's the name of that book? Is it Salt, Fat, Acid? Is that a, a yes, cooking book? Yes, it's a cooking
2: so, and, and a show.
3: <laughs> in, uh, in winemaking, we have, you know, tannin, alcohol and acid. And those are kind of like the backbones of of what make up wine, and then you have all the different varietal characteristics that go into it and In cool climates, you tend to have more acid and less structure um to the wines in general there's no there's no real rules to any of this um, but and we find that with Chardonnay um doing something a little bit leaner, more fruit focused and less about the oak and the volume and the body of the wine, um, seems to work a little bit better. Um, we, we also do make, um, uh, and especially in, in warmer vintages, we'll make, um, an oak Chardonnay. Um, but in general, I feel that the, the kind of leaner, brighter, um, more on like the green apple and citrusy side of things tend to work better in our climate. Um, and then you go to other places that are much warmer or have longer seasons and, and you know, they have, uh, they, they can do different things than, than we're doing here, so.
2: Yeah. And now I know that you also came out with a new sangria.
3: Yeah, those are always fun. We, uh, especially this time of year, uh, Angelo, our GM, kind of like whips something up on the weekends and <laughs> uh, it it's it's one of those things that, you get to play around with if there's fresh fruit around it's a peach season here in the Hudson Valley. So there's, you know, you kind of lean towards those things and maybe when it gets a little bit colder out, you'll make something with red wine and, and apples and maybe some brambles or something like that. Um, kind of whatever's in, in season.
2: Maybe um, a mold wine. That would be fun.
3: Yeah. Those are, those are fun for me. I can only have like a little bit, which I guess is good. Um, <laughs> <but> <laughs>
2: Uh, Um, And now I know you, I mean, I've been to your winery as as I had spoken with uh, Angelo. I've been to your winery every year, except for the past two years for obvious reasons. Um, We go to Vermont. I'm going to be, you know, heading up there actually this week. Um, So I'm probably going to try to swing by (laughs) your winery and pick up some more bottles. But um, I am a huge fan of your reds. In particular, I believe it's the um, proprietor's reserve, Merlot.
3: Yeah, so we you know, we make a, a range of, of, again, varieties that do well in cooler climates. Um, are, are probably the most tonnage of grapes that we bring in each year is Cabernet Franc. Um, I love that variety because it, it works well on its own. We make wonderful rosés out of it and then it's depending on the vintage it's sometimes it's the backbone of our proprietor's reserve sometimes merlot takes over that position really just kind of depending on how the blend plays out um but our yeah our proprietor's reserve is a blend of traditional bordeaux varieties so merlot cabernet franc cabernet sauvignon petit bordeaux and malbec Uh, some years some of those are omitted from the blend. Um, some years it's Cab Franc heavy, some years Merlot heavy. Um, in Bordeaux, traditionally, the wines tend to be Cab Sauve heavy, but since we're a cooler climate, Cab Sauve kind of um, it's, it's more of a blending grape for us than, than standing out in the forefront um, where Merlot and Cab Franc really we, we can get some really cool textures and flavors from
2: yeah and i i know that you you know some of some of your wines have you know that nice tobacco you know infused into the flavor the notes as you say um and you know it in particular you're i don't want to mess up the name but the baco baco noir yes you're... yeah
3: that's an interesting variety and as i was saying before um Paconor was our oldest vines on the property. They they were planted in the 60s and, and we actually pulled them all out this year. Um and it was it was a really tough decision to make um because we were making some some pretty good wines out of them, but we were having some pest issues, uh some invasive species that were um just kind of new relatively I say relatively really new to the country. They've only been around for six or seven years um is a very thin skinned variety and this test was making it really hard to manage the fruit sustainably mm. um and we we made the decision to to pull it out but yeah in in certain years Baco can be really really wonderful because it has this really bright bright acidity but also that earthiness that you were talking about that like tobacco and um The the tannins are very, very light. I like to think of it as like almost like a Beaujolais in a way. Yeah. Um, But almost a little earthier, maybe a cross between Beaujolais and Cap Franc or something like that.
2: And I do love a Beaujolais.
3: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I love when they come out. and Crew Beaujolais, they're always fun to drink.
2: Yeah. I actually, the first time that I had a Beaujolais was in um, Paris, France, and I I fell in love. And ever since then, it's been one of my favorite go-to's.
3: Yeah, and I, I think that that kind of like the lightness but depth that they have are are really wonderful. And in in winemaking now, you see that there's this trend in in I shouldn't say a trend in Beaujolais. It's they've been doing it for a long time. But um, carbonic maceration, where it's this um, you kind of use whole berries, and it's this it's this way of kind of having a more fruity fermentation than an extracted fermentation. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I guess it would be the different, I don't know, I'm awful at analogies, but like maybe the difference between, you know, simmering or deep frying, Um uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you get different, uh, different flavors and textures, uh, from the carbonic maceration. And that's what a lot of Beaujolais are. Um, so you, the, the wines, they almost feel really lively, you know, yeah. when you drink them.
2: Uh, so, um, now you, I, your vineyard and winery pulls from different, um, local pur- purveyors as well. Like you guys pull from different, um, New York state places that, you know, provide, I I'm assuming produce that you infuse everything. And in during the fermentation process.
3: Is- yep. So we, we source fruit from, um, primarily two different vineyards on the north fork of long island um that's where we get some cab franc um merlot which is very merlot is very difficult to grow here in the valley it's a little cold sensitive and we get a little bit colder than them um we'll get some Petit verdot and malbec from out there and then up in the finger lakes we have a grower that we've been dealing with for over a decade now um where we get some chardonnay some riesling and some cabernet franc and here in the valley you know we have our vineyards and it's it's basically it really depends on the year but it's close to a third a third and a third um of where we're we grow about a third and then we source the other two-thirds from uh north fork long island and the singer lake so um and it's it's been really nice having you know good relationships with farmers and and knowing exactly where your fruit's coming from and how they're growing those grapes and um, it's also fun as a winemaker. Uh, you know, I, I like to think of myself as a, a vineyard manager who has to go inside and make wine. And, um, that's always great because you have full control over what's going on in the vineyard. And a lot of times when you're buying, um, when you're buying grapes, you know, you, you don't know exactly what's going on and, um, the, the farmers that we've been dealing with again now o- over a decade uh, you know you know what they're doing you know what to expect um, so it, it makes makes your life as a winemaker a little bit easier.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a question that I I'm not knowledgeable as far as you know winemaking is concerned. Um, but I do greatly enjoy the product. <laughs> But I know that a Riesling, which is a super sweet wine, I was told at some point in time that the grapes have to actually be picked frozen and it gets fermented frozen. It just like kind of stays in a cold state the entire time from vine to bottle.
3: So there there are some Rieslings that are really sweet. There's some Rieslings that are bone dry. Um, you know, we like to throw all these varieties in I mean just as humans we like to say like oh you know this food tastes this way and that food tastes that way Um, but then you could taste the ones that are maybe outside the box or something Um, but not to geek out too much (laughs) but fermentation is the you're using a fungi which is yeast you know basically this same yeast um, that you're using to leaven your bread or brew beer. Um, it's it's called Saccharomyces. And that, what happens is that yeast converts the sugar in the fruit into alcohol and carbon dioxide. Um, and depending on how much sugar you have in the wine, think of sugar as potential alcohol. Um, but, As winemakers, we can arrest the fermentation. And for Rieslings, because they're typically a high acid grape, we like to have some sugar in there to balance the acid out. Um, So we'll arrest those fermentations. And then to go even further, um, as I said before, we like to be in complete control as winemakers. Um, There's this process of winemaking called ice wine. And that's when the grapes are actually frozen on the vine. So you have to let your grapes hang all the way till, and I we don't make a traditional ice wine, so I don't know there, there's actual laws around this, but um, you have to let the grapes freeze on the vine. And that freezing is a way of concentrating all the sugar and the flavors in the wine um, Another cheesy analogy is like when you were a kid and you put a juice box in the freezer and it froze all the way.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And you're like, oh, man, it's frozen. And then you didn't have the patience to let it defrost all the way.
2: And you get that so clump. <laughs>
3: you, yeah. So it's super, super sugary in the beginning. And then you forget about it for a half an hour. And then the second half is super watery. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing when we make ice wine. We're taking these frozen grapes and we're pressing them and we're getting all that concentrated sugar and flavor out of it, and then what's left in the press is all that water. Um, So we have this super, again, we're starting out with tons of sugar so that when we're done with fermentation and we get to the target alcohol um, that we want, there's all this remaining sugar and all this really, really intense um, flavors and aromas. That's why most of those like uh, late harvest or ice wines are served in half bottles um, because they're just, you you can't really drink a bottle of it. I always like to think like a bottle of wine is good for two people and a bottle of ice wine is good for four or six people, even (laughs) though it's half the size Um, just because it's
2: the potency of it.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Just super intense. And um, it's also interesting too, when you see the price points of those wines a lot of times the half bottle costs
2: way two more or three
3: times. Yeah. But if you talk to the bookkeeper, they would say, yeah, you're probably just about even, maybe you're losing a little bit money uh, on the ice wine <laughs> 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 because uh, you're losing just so much in the ice and um, letting the grapes hang there. You know, um, grapes are very vulnerable things sitting out there. There's the weather and there's birds and squirrels and turkeys and, raccoons and uh, all the different things that can happen to them. So uh, as a farmer, you want to bring them in, you know, as soon as you can. And as a winemaker, you want to bring them in when they're perfect. So winemaking is kind of a balance of that. Like, oh, is it going to rain this weekend? Well, should we pick or should we wait out the storm? What's the lesser of the two eagles sometimes?
2: Yeah. Um, so. Um, now, I know that you also have uh Wood a wood fire brick oven that you create pizzas at your vineyard as well now.
3: Yeah. My dad is super proud of it. As he should be. He he just started one day tinkering out there with some bricks and um you know, we we're watching him. Just like what are you doing? He's like, Yeah, just don't mind your own business. Leave me alone. I'm retired. You know? <laughs> uh, and he built this beautiful, beautiful uh, brick oven pizza, literally, you know, brick by brick by brick. Um, and yeah, on the weekends, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at the winery, um, they're serving up hot pizzas. Uh, and it's kind of, it's really cool because it's some, sometimes he's sourcing stuff. He's got like a little herb garden next to it that they're pulling stuff to put on the pizzas. And uh, it, it's, it's just really cool. Like,
2: so, do you do pa- of, pairings with the the wines um, based on the ingredients that you're putting on the pizzas?
3: We don't. We like to let people kind of you know choose their own adventure. Um, but it's a it's kind of a great environment. Um, I know you've been up here, but for the folks who are listening, our property kind of sits up right above the Hudson River, so you have this beautiful view east. Um, kind of looking over the river and out towards almost towards the Berkshires in Connecticut. That's how far you can see. Um, and there's this kind of very light aroma of smoke from the pizza oven. And you have your wine. And um, you know we've we've moved to kind of all seated tastings, which has been really nice because the customers have uh, an opportunity to really take their time and. Um, with their wine and their food, but also take their time with their server um, instead of the kind of, uh, we used to have the, you know, belly up to the bar and take six wines, grab a glass and go and sit outside. And now it's a little bit more intimate, which um, I, as a, as a consumer, have always really loved those experiences. So um, COVID kind of kicked us in the butt and made us do it. And we've kind of all, been nothing but positive feedback from it, um, which is, which is really good because, uh, yeah you know, a lot of people come, they have a lot of questions, you know, uh, just like we're talking about now. And uh, in that bar, uh, you know, wine bar kind of uh, situation, you don't have the time or opportunity to do that. Uh, So this has been really nice. uh, So,
2: Yeah. And I mean, you had mentioned, yes, there is a, you're sitting on top of, of an elevated area that overlooks the Hudson Valley. When I can tell my listeners, when you drive up and it opens up like you go through the building and you op- it opens up to that sweeping view i mean it takes your breath away i've i fell in love as soon as i like got out of the car and saw it i was like this is going to be a, an amazing place so you know i was definitely impressed with just the views and then to taste the wines themselves it was like where have you been my whole life <laughs>
3: yeah the the Hudson Valley in general is just such a it's a beautiful it's a lush place for folks who haven't been here It's you know in the middle of the summer everything is green and alive and um you know i'm I'm a Hudson Valley native I grew up uh you know twenty minutes away from the winery and I loved to travel when I was younger and you know whenever I came home it it was never a disappointment it was always like, oh man I forgot how much I love this place. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much to do too. There's, you know, it's got a rich history. So there's, you can go to the FDR library. Um, there's the Culinary Institute of America 25 minutes away from us. Um, and there's tons of great outdoor stuff to do as well. So there's all these hikes up in the Schwunggung mountains or Fishgill Ridge and things like that. And it's also super accessible because we're a 90 minute train ride uh, to Grand Central Terminal in Manhattan. So it's a it's a really cool place to be. You're, you feel like you're far away, but you're really close to, to everything as well.
2: Yeah. And, you know, not only talking about things that are surrounding you, there are definitely events that you guys hold throughout the year. And, you know, like there's the I I believe the grape, the, (laughs) not that this is how you normally make the wine, but I do know that there's Uh that like traditional, like everybody likes to do it at some point where you get in and you squish the grapes with your feet. Um, so I know that you host one of those, um, events and I think that's coming up soon. So since,
3: uh, basically since COVID, um, which is everybody's excuse for everything, right? Like, oh, well, because of COVID. Um, but we've, we've really kind of changed over from doing those kind of, like, bigger events to more of these intimate, seated tastings. Um, we do have a wine club that we do some events with um, each year. Um, again, not last year, due to everything. Um, <laughs> but we do a, barrel, a spring barrel tasting with our wine club. So we go and we taste wines that are in process which is a lot of fun because you get to taste. I always like to refer to them as like the teenagers of wine. You know, they're <laughs> in this really awkward state, and sometimes the wines don't, you know, they don't taste the way that they're going to taste when, when they're in a bottle. Um, and it's a it's a really fun event because it's, it's this great conversation. Um, I If I had to sit here and tell you about the winery, I would have been done you know 2 minutes into the, the <laughs> talk but you know when people have questions like you have it's it's really fun because you can really get into people's minds and you know see what they're actually thinking or what they're concerned about and sometimes it's really really basic questions and sometimes it's really complex questions um you know a lot of times my answer is like i don't know i'll get back to you on that <laughs> one um but we've kind of, I think we're shifting a little bit more to that type of, um,
2: environment,
3: environment. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with, we, we, a lot of where we used to do our parking for our events, we've planted, um, just because we have a really prime spot here to be growing. Um, so we've, we've planted a lot more on the property and again, space is limited. Uh, so we're like, Oh, let's, I, I think our customers are really enjoying that that experience of of um,
2: the tasting inter- <laughs> y-
3: yeah, just being able to talk more um, <laughs> whether it's to the server or to the winemaker or to the owner um, it 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 seems to uh,
2: open seems up to that working. avenue of communication, yeah. so yeah exactly. If somebody, if our listeners are out there and they're like, I really want to visit this winery, I want to see those sweeping views while, t- you know, tasting a flight of your wines, where can they find you?
3: As far as where the winery is or where we... as
2: Yes, as far as your location, um, where the winery is and online.
3: Okay, so we are located in the Mid-Hudson Valley Um Basically, between Beacon, New York, and Poughkeepsie, but we are on the west side of the river. Um, just about, I think we're 90, 90 miles from Manhattan. Um, and if you're taking the train, you can come up to Beacon and catch an Uber or go up to Poughkeepsie and catch an Uber. Uh, those are two kind of cool towns. Um, we're also near New Paltz, New York. Uh, if you're driving, it's I84 and I87, uh, which are the two big ways that you're going east-west or north-south, um, and we're in the town of Marlboro, New York. So, uh, and then online it's BenMarl.com. B-E-N as in Nancy, M as in Mary, A-R-L. And, and I always people always say, "Hey Ben," and I'm like, "My name is Matt." <laughs> <laughs> That's ben funny. Marl is is one word. Uh, the, the original owners, uh, Mark Miller, I think he had Scottish heritage and um, it's Scottish Gaelic for Slate Hill, which when you come here, you'll realize we're on a big slate hill.
1: Uh, <laughs> oh, so no. That's where
3: that's where the name comes from.
1: Fantastic. Okay. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank uh, you for having me. And we're it's excited great. for our listeners to go see you.
3: All right, yeah. And enjoy we'll be here some of your wines. Time.
1: Okay, and let's take a break. We'll be
0: right back. Become a sponsor of our show and promote your business or event on every single podcast platform including Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many more. In addition to talk radio, WWDB and WPEN HD 2, 97.5 FM, every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Evening drive time. Send us an email to diningonadime at yahoo.com for our very low rates. Our show is now legally an
4: LLC business.
1: And we're back. Chef Gene, introduce our fabulous guest.
4: Well, what a wonderful honor it is to introduce Sarah Zahn, the founder and owner of All About Events, uh, event planning and wedding planning, uh, also an officiant. And Sarah also pulls double duty as the director of catering at Reading Terminal Market Catering Company, one of the prestigious event venues in the city of Philadelphia. And when it has no other uh, spare time left after being a mom, and very active in the National Association of Catering Executives. Welcome, Sarah. Welcome to Food Forms and Chefs.
5: That is quite the introduction. Thank you, Gene. I appreciate that.
4: And I think the 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 most important is the mother of what is one of the most adorable babies you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. So when Thank you're all done, you. this I challenge everybody to go to. Uh, to go to social media, find Sarah's on, and look at this
5: little adorable (laughs) one. Thank you. Just turned one, and it's quite the handful.
4: Yes, yes. And you planned a couple couple interesting little parties for him as well. So I saw that going on. So, Sarah, I've known you for a number of years um, when you were working in the industry, and you took a bold leap, and you started all about events. Um, Started kind of like in your porch. Tell us a little bit about what that was all about, how you got started, what your motivation was and and you know what you saw is is the the difficulties and the trials and tribulations of starting what is one of the premier event planning services in the region.
5: Awesome, yes, I will certainly share, and thank you again for having me back i I love um, talking with you on the show. Um, you know, it's quite interesting. We just we just celebrated 15 years, believe it or not, uh, July 1st, um, which feel, it doesn't feel possible to have a business for 15 years. But as any business starts, um, and as you kind of mentioned, I was actually in my parents' bedroom, um, or I guess my bedroom in my parents' house, starting this business um, in college. I was one of those typical kids, and I'm sure as people are going back to school, um, there's a lot of people in my position now that you know I couldn't really find my niche. It wasn't quite clicking for me what I was going to do going into school um, and trying to find a major. So lo and behold, my entire you know young life, I was always kind of the one gathering the family together, planning my mom's 50th birthday, planning all of our family holidays, um, planning just things for my girlfriends and their sweet 16s years before that. I found myself in a natural position to bring people together. And so if there was any kind of future for me back then, it was going to be in event planning, because I kind of found that to be what I was passionate about. But lo and behold, um, you know, I started at a very young age of 21 years old. And um, it was really with internships and with people who were getting married, who wanted somebody to help them on the wedding day. I think I maybe charged 100 bucks, if that back then. Um, But I was paid nonetheless, never did anything for free, essentially, in those beginning years. Um, And I slowly just started finding that um, I had to get a lot of experience. So as you knew me, I started working at um which was a catering facility. It still is one of my favorites that I um, learned and was trained trained under Dominic Savino, the CEO, as I was building my business. I worked for a florist. I worked in a hotel um, as a bartender, but I saw the way that hospitality and hotels was ran. Um, I interned for a lot of different professionals. And so while I was growing my business, I found it was so important to kind of become really well-rounded and have all of these, you know, jobs to show me as I got into my, you know, then later 20s and early 30s, what I needed to now be the director of catering, Now to now run this business that's doing, you know, over 150 events a year in the center city of Philadelphia and beyond. Um, it's been quite the whirlwind, but I certainly can say I attribute our success in Learning so many aspects of what it takes to run a business from a catering standpoint, from a photography standpoint, from a floral standpoint, which now gives me every capability to you know, handle all the challenges that we see day-to-day with event planning. Um, yeah, it, it's quite the journey, but still always learning for sure.
4: One of the things that I saw early on with you was that absolute thirst for knowledge, Whether it was learning about electric, learning about tenting, you know, all the little nuances, all the little details, things that a lot of people don't think that they should know. You know, you were like, teach me about that. Who can teach me about that? You know, who do you know to teach me about that? And the other thing that I really loved was your calm under pressure. I remember (laughs) one event in particular, and, and as soon as I begin to mention this, you know, it's going to come back to you when we did a wedding in two and a half hours notice the caterer Mm -hmm. didn't show up and you were brought out to the site to just work with the bride and the bride commented left and right how her caterer didn't show. She was an absolute mess, but you kept her calm. You were there and you got her down the aisle and everything worked out well. So, you know, that was, you know, a truly wonderful thing to see in a young professional. So, You know, all about events, builds, builds, builds. How did you get involved in Reading Terminal Market to become the director of catering at Reading Terminal Market and all that?
5: Yeah, good question, because it still baffles me that I've been so lucky and so blessed to have this opportunity. But um, eight years ago, we got a call after doing – I did a wedding for one of the merchants – so, to Tootsie Salad Express, she's no longer there. Um, she's closed her business since then, but her daughter was getting married and, and getting married inside Redding Toronto Market, and they hired me uh, as a wedding planner, and after doing that event as a wedding planner, just coming into the market, um, first time I've ever done an event there, first time I've really um, experienced anything outside of shopping in the market. Um, the the I guess directors of the market then called me saying, listen, we need somebody to take over all of the events in the market. And we're really looking for a director of catering. And at the time, I kept saying, oh, thank you for the opportunity, but I'm not a director of catering. I'm an event planner. I, you know, I really don't think this is the right fit. They kept calling. I kept declining the, the interview, um, having no idea what I was potentially passing up. Finally, this woman was so persistent, Cindy. I I thank her to this day for being so persistent, but she called me again. She goes, just come in and interview. I think there may be a miscommunication. We're calling a caterer. We really need a planner. Long story short, I went in for the interview, and it was the best thing I ever did, and I was, so again, so thankful she had called me so many times because it truly is about bringing 70 small businesses who are so busy during the day. Um, and have the ability to put on evening affairs. You know, of course, we think about, like, the Knicks and um, Bassett's ice cream and, and just all of the, you know, cultural institutions that are in there that provide just such delicious food. They needed somebody to come in and organize a menu for a client and organize the, the rentals that need to come into the building and organize the staffing that needs to come into the, bu- the building. And essentially, that's what I do. So I, um, I got blessed with this opportunity, and now here we are eight years later doing – so many events um, of anything from 50 people to our largest one to date is 8,000 people in that building and on the street connected to it. So um, we are the event managing management firm, also considered the catering company of the market. And I'm so glad it's been such a fun journey.
4: Well, I have been around a long time, so I have saw the Reading Terminal Market Catering Company in years past and saw it now. So kudos to you. You truly revitalized the Reading Terminal Market Catering Company. And you got so innovative during COVID doing Mm -hmm. some very unique things, uh, such as deliveries, you know, catering to go, just anything to keep everything going well. You were so deeply involved in that. But your business branched out in a lot of different other ways, too. Prior to COVID, you were doing Pizza Fest, you were doing a Veterans Parade, and I understand you're doing the Veterans Parade coming this year, too. So you've really stepped up and, and taken on a lot of different style events. Tell us a little bit about what's happening at All About Events now, and then what's happening at Reading Terminal Market now?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Good question. I think when you look at event planning firms, there's not many that are as diverse as us. And as you just mentioned, we do, you know, events at Reading Turn Market, we do weddings, we do corporate events, we do nonprofit events, um, we do festivals, uh, we do international events. We were in twelve different countries in twenty nineteen, planning all over the world. Um, so it's we are quite diverse. Um we have a lot of beautifully talented people on our team that can handle the diversity of events, but um, as you mentioned, we're really excited. We are still planning an in-person, outdoor veterans parade and festival on Sunday, November 7th, right down Market Street in Center City, Philadelphia. It is such an amazing event to come out to honor veterans, to salute our veterans, to um, you know bring your family down and experience what um, really what veterans do and and how they can be helped. There's so many different veteran service organizations that come to this that display. Um, There are services, and so it's really a a unique event, but it's also something that's really lovely to be supporting, especially now what's going on in the world, because there's no better time to be, you know, supporting our vets anyway. So we we have that event coming up, and everything has been rescheduled for 2020. So when you look ahead for all about events, we are just um, now knees deep planning all of these events for these uh, rescheduled events for these couples and their families and all the corporations that had to postpone their um holiday parties and and their uh, anniversary celebrations and so we have so many patient clients that are finally getting their turn to have their events come up um and that's kind of where where we are right now we're hoping that the city and 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 the world and the country continue to stay safe and that we can have these events coming up in the next couple months and into the next year but um, we're in wedding season and holiday party planning season and Um, still an outdoor festival season with the Veterans um, Festival that is safely going to happen in Center City. So that's kind of where we are right now, just knees deep in the the season.
4: One of the other things that stands out about you, Sarah, that that is truly remarkable is your giving back. You had great people that towards you. You sought them out you have taken on a role as a mentor now and working with so many different people. Uh, Mm -hmm. You empower so many and and on rough, you know, shot looking in, you know, you, you really about empowering dynamic women that work hard, that might've had some obstacles. And here you are, you know, bringing them up through the ranks of running terminal market of all about events Uh, But you are all about mentoring everybody. You are so involved in National Association of Catering Executives, Uh, You, Mm -hmm. past president, you know, as a consultant into every level of that. Tell us a little bit about that drive that you push so hard to bring others up.
5: You know what? It's it's I love that question because um, I was just talking to my good friend, Tim Studal, and Philip Gabriel um, last night. They uh, We were all together. And those were two people, in addition to yourself, Jean, in addition to somebody like Dominic Savino and, and other professionals in our industry, Phyllis Jabonowski as well, those are individuals who, when I was 22, 23, 24, trying to figure out my way in this world, in this event industry, in the hospitality industry, those people, people like yourself as well, um, who were so busy and had their own businesses just flourishing, they all took time to sit down with me so many times. And, of course, they're also a part of NACE. And they helped me pave my way. When I was thinking about, you know, working for somebody else and and shutting this business that was a dream of mine down at such a young age, they were like, what are you doing? you got to keep on this path. And thank God they did because look at us now. Um, So I have to pay it back. I have to sit there and and help people and, and really spend some time with you know, college students who have questions and people who want internships. We take interns all the time. I am going to St. Joe's in October, October 4th, to speak to classes, um, hospitality classes. I used to teach at Drexel in the hospitality um, uh, department there. I love talking to young people about their future in the hospitality industry, and I and I give it to them straight. It is not easy, and it takes a lot of evenings, weekends, dedication. Missing family parties, missing friends, weddings. That's all, unfortunately, comes with this industry. But it's also one of the most rewarding, most powerful industries to be in. And so I always will sit there and talk to somebody and give them some insight or give them some guidance or, you know, bring them to a NACE event, the National Association for Catering and Events, because um, that all is – all of those reasons and all of those people I mentioned are reasons why all of that events is still in existence 15 years later. Um, So, there is absolute passion to sit there and to help young people get into this industry. And we also, we're we're currently hiring, you know, so that's also something that if I have the ability to bring on people for our team, we will. Um, and although it may be our catering staff, the, the knowledge, the wealth of knowledge they can get if they want to grow in this industry is endless. Um, so we, we're always looking to grow people. And um, especially those who are very interested in the industry.
4: Well, as a father of daughter, is one of which worked for you, and I think one of which is probably going to work for you, you know, I can say that Casey spoke so highly of you and what you learned there, and it really has impacted her, and every time I speak to her on the phone up in Maine, she's asking about how you are and what's going on at the terminal, and, you know, just as an FYI, she'll be back in about a month and a half,
5: so. So proud of her. She's been, she's killing it, and, and that's another thing. Like, what what in a success story? Somebody who's you know taken on a lot of opportunity has taken the time to you know learn different aspects of the industry, including now. And and she, she's just going to continue to flourish. She's she's amazing, and that's the the great reason of why, you know, we do what we do.
4: So, what's next for all about events and ready terminal market? What's what's exciting coming up in the fall and, and the holiday season yeah. the next year
5: we have got stuff going on so uh the market is going to be joining center city district in the harvest festival um so that will be i believe it's october 9th uh, center city district in philadelphia is doing a an outdoor harvest fest and the reading Terminal market will be partnering with that with activities harvest specials um live music so we are in the planning uh, stages of that. We are also planning for the holiday. The month of December is going to be very busy inside the market, especially on the weekends, bringing Santa back, lots of holiday decor, reason to bring your kids into town. Um, there's also generally around Thanksgiving, not Thanksgiving, um, Halloween, we will be doing a trick-or-treat in the market. Thanksgiving, there's usually a holiday showcase of all the Thanksgiving foods you should get. So we're pretty involved in all of the the planning of these public um, assets to come down and reasons to come down to visit the market. If you don't have enough reasons already, just because of the food down there. But um, it's going to be a very busy fall. We're working with the new general manager Annie Allman, who's got a lot of great ideas and comes from a really lovely background of hospitality herself. So we are just making it fun and inviting, but also very safe to come back into the market, into the city, and bring your family and, and do the holiday stuff. So um, we're knees deep in planning that and. Um, we are also planning some big conventions so we're really, we're responsible for planning um evening receptions or off-premise receptions for conventions that come into the pennsylvania convention center so we've got a big one a couple thousand people coming in december so we're planning a large event for them and um, everything's just being done safely right now and, and event planning certainly looks different in covid world but we're figuring it out as um everybody is and we're bringing live in-person events back in a very safe way, so busy busy with all of this going on right now.
4: So if you had one bit of advice to offer to the young 20-something, that is, I want to become an event planner, I want to be a wedding planner, what would that bit of advice be?
5: Uh, call me. <laughs> we'll talk. I will definitely, um, that's, I guess, my first piece of advice is really to call any professional. I think the best thing um, I did was I, I picked up the phone and I started making phone calls, and not everybody is, is able to chat. Everybody's so busy right now. I understand that. But I think seeking professional guidance is one. However, there are organizations like NACE, um, N-A-C-E, that welcome students, that welcome students to come out and network and to get the educational program that you you can't pay for sometimes in college. You're hearing from real professionals talking about real things in our industry. Um, There's other organizations like NACE that offer that. So the best thing you can do is get out and network make some phone calls, try to get some internships, get some experience under your belt, and, and work for you know whatever position is open right now. Because usually when you're in the position um, and you're in the door, you can move up the chain. And I know in my industry and, and in my business and a lot of my partners that I work with, once you have a foot in the door, the opportunities are endless. And so even if you're accepting a position as a catering team member or a dishwasher or a line cook or somebody at the front desk, Usually the path to move up in that company is pretty quick if you do the right things and you make the right connections and you work hard. Um, and I can tell you for my company that is that is true. So that is my advice.
4: So for people that are interested in learning more about Reading Terminal Market Catering and about all about events or people who have questions, want to reach out and say, you know, how did you do it? Can you give me some advice? How do people get hold of you? Where do they follow you on social media? And and where can they learn more about what's going on at the terminal and All About Events?
5: Yep, absolutely. Good question. Um, So you could reach out to us at allaboutevents underscore PHL. That's on Instagram or Facebook. Um, You can also find me on LinkedIn under Sarah Zahn. Um, You could also email me at Sarah with an H at allaboutevents.us. And then, of course, you can go to the Reading Terminal Markets website. You should anyway because that's where you're going to find all the holiday stuff that's coming up uh, that will be posted soon. And um, our catering team uh, details are on that website as well as a lot of other opportunities to just be more involved with the market. Um, So we will answer any which way, any way that you reach out or your um, listeners reach out, we'll definitely get back to them.
4: And for anybody who's interested in learning more about the Veterans Parade and coming out in this this time of global crisis uh, to support our veterans? How do they go about doing that?
5: So the Veterans um, Parade and the festival that is coming up, again, that's November 7th. It's a Sunday. Um, It's a daytime event, and we have, um, you know, lots of food, food trucks, beer garden, a lot of veteran service organizations, of course, the parade itself. You could follow uh, Philadelphia Veterans Parade on Facebook or Instagram. And um, they are active every day posting updates about what's going on, who's signing up. And if for any reason that the city continues to move in um, a non-live person event capacity, we'll be going virtual, which we did last year. So either way, there's something to follow and something to check out and a way to support um, that one. So that's Philadelphia Veterans Parade. And that is on Instagram or Facebook. And um, we'll be collecting letters that we're going to be sending to veterans um, there's going to be still walkers, photo opportunities, and the parade itself is just so moving to watch and to watch, you know, the motorcycles come down, the marching bands come down, all of the, the you know, different demographics and age groups of veterans marching down Market Street. It is a, a family affair not to be missed.
4: Well, Sarah, thank you so very much. We will uh, certainly look forward to having you and other members of the Reading Terminal Market community. On the show again, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and learn more about not only all about events, but Reading Terminal Market Catering, which is an absolute gem of a venue. Thank you again. Much success. Thank you. And uh, always a pleasure to talk with you and catch up.
5: Awesome. I appreciate it. We will be in touch. Take care. Have a good day.
1: Thank you so much, Sarah.
5: Thank you, Sarah.
1: Let's take a break. When we come back, you're going to be able to win money and prizes. We'll be right back into dining on a
2: dime to hear from Gene Blum, our chef, educator, consultant, and historian. You can find him across social media at ibfoodie2 or Gene Blum at ibfoodie2 at yahoo dot com. And you can also tune in to listen to Amorous Pollock and find her across social media at a r p o l l o c k u s at gmail dot com.
1: I have my. Contributor from Philadelphia, Kevin Wilson, which uh, does for us the dining on a dime uh, uh, segment. His job is to go around and find places where you can dine and eat for a very, very, very good price. Actually, some of these places less than ten dollars. So here we have uh, Kevin Wilson. Hello, Kevin. Good morning. Okay, that is how this show started, all the way back in 2016. It was just a seven-minute segment on ESPN Radio where I would go out to a restaurant and I would talk to the restaurant owners. I did about 90 of those segments before we started our first show in our uh, for 57 minutes. So today is our third birthday.
2: Yay! Happy birthday to us.
1: Our third birthday of being a 57-minute uh, show, uh, but it was a seven-minute segment for two years prior. So guess what? To thank our loyal listeners.
2: What are we going to do?
1: We're going to give out money, and we're going to give out a chance for you to co-host the show. So here is what you can win just by responding to the contest. Uh, We are going to give out a $30 Visa gift card, Amaris. And why am I doing that?
2: I don't know, Kevin. Why don't you tell us?
1: Because a Visa gift card you can use anywhere for your groceries or whatever.
2: And that's a big bonus.
1: And then we're giving out a $30 gift card to a restaurant of your choosing.
2: Any restaurant?
1: Any restaurant that you choose. uh, Just give us the name of the restaurant, and then we will purchase the card from the restaurant. That way you can support the restaurant industry since we are a restaurant industry show. And (laughs) then we are giving out our very good friend of the show, Chef Walter Stabe.
2: Who was on, you can listen to his interview a couple weeks back. He is an amazing chef, and he is such a sweet guy, so humble, very knowledge, and he gave us some DVDs, and we're going to share the the wealth and, and give, give
1: away a- the DVD along with the two cash uh, money prizes. So Chef Stabe is an Emmy Award winner 16 times. Yeah. For his fabulous show, which I binge-watched after he was on the show. I binge-watched it for like 40 hours. (laughs) It's called A Taste of History, and it is on Amazon Prime and PBS, obviously. And we have a DVD from his Emmy Award-winning A Taste of History show. So you're going to get a $30 Visa gift card. You can use it for your groceries. You can use it for anything you want. In celebration of our third birthday today, we're going to give you a $30 gift card to a restaurant of your choosing to support your local restaurant. We're also giving you a chance to co-host the show. Now, if you're a business owner, Amherst, and you want to get good publicity, you can co-host the show. So uh, all you have to do, how do we do this, Amherst?
2: Well, we're going to have you email us.
1: Email us at diningonadime at yahoo.com. And the winner of these great prizes will be announced next week. Dining on a dime at yahoo.com. $30 gift card visa. $30 gift card for a restaurant of your choosing. Chef Stabes, a Taste of History DVD. And we want to thank everyone for being very loyal. We're one of the top rated podcasts in the world. So we want to thank you for your loyalty. Philly Restaurant Reviews dot com for all information about the show. Amaris Pollock. You can
2: find me on social media at ARPollockus, or you can find me under my name, Amaris Pollock. Or if you would like to be a guest on our show, my email is A-R-P-O-L-L-O-C-K-U-S at gmail.com.
4: Chef Gene. You can find me across social media at Gene Blum or IB Foodie Two, or you could always email me directly at ibfoodie Foodie I Two at Yahoo.com. That's IBFoodie Two at Yahoo.com. Happy national peace pie, everyone. Peace pie day. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.